0: From the Babylonians, from the Egyptians that had all their national law, their civil law. God gives these new civil laws that are moral, they include morals as well for His people. He doesn't want them to act like the rest of the nations in the world. He has a specific way for them. And so here in chapter 24, God is going to ratify this covenant with the people of Israel. And when He does that, He's really fulfilling. The promise he made with Abraham. Remember, these people are descendants of Abraham. That's the clue. That's the key. And God had made a promise or a covenant with Abraham. And that was way back in Genesis chapter 12. Let me remind you really quick where that is. This is God's first covenant. We're going to look at many different covenants uh, in the text, or I'm going to show you different covenants, but this one, you'll recall, we studied this on Sunday night a couple of years ago. I will make you a great nation. Remember, Abraham says to God, You keep saying this, God, that you're going to make me a great nation, but I don't have any kids. I'm 90 years old. I don't know if I even believe this. And God promises Abraham and makes this covenant. Here it is there's three portions of it I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. So number one, people. I'm going to make you from no sons to this great mighty nation, as many as the stars in the heavens, the sand and the sea. That was the promise, the covenant God made with Abraham. Then he says, I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you and all the families of the earth will be blessed. How will all the families of the earth be blessed? Because through Abraham comes the seed, the promised seed, the promised Messiah who's going to save the world. Jesus was a Hebrew. He was Jewish. So from Abraham. So the first covenant is the Abrahamic covenant, and Abraham's offspring, Isaac, Jacob, all the sons of Abraham here, his offspring, we have been given all of these different laws and promises through the covenants, through Abraham's covenant there. So here in this chapter, this new covenant, that's the Mosaic covenant, all these funny theological names, but it's a covenant made with Moses, but it affects us in a really interesting way. We're not held by the Old Testament covenant, but it picture so beautifully the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, and we're going to see that over and over in this uh, text here tonight, but we come to this really fascinating passage here because it begins with God inviting Moses, his brother Aaron, Aaron's son, Nahab and Abihu, and then the 70 elders of Israel. God is going to let them go cross the line. Remember, he only let Moses go across the line at the foot of the mountain. Now he's going to bring them halfway up the mountain, these people, and they're going to see God. I know you're already thinking, no, nobody's seen God. You're, Pastor, You go. we'll get there. You just stick with me. We're going to get there. But these people are, are being invited on the mountain, and God is going to make a covenant with them. God is a serious God. He makes covenant, and it's between him and the people of Israel. Between It's called the Mosaic covenant. That's what we see here. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, imagery going on in this covenant. Not only that, but these people see God. Very interesting. I've called this, taught, or the title I've given this is Approaching God on His Terms. Of course, that would be right, right? We're only going to approach God on His terms, and that's what we'll see in these uh, people's lives. So let's ask God's blessing, and we'll jump into the text tonight. Father, thank you for the word, and we pray that you would reveal its truth to us, and I just pray that as New Testament covenant believers that we would understand this covenant and it would make the covenant we're under in, in the blood of Jesus, that it would make it so much more to us. That we would understand that you're a God that keeps his promise. You're a covenant-making God. And in this, these promises, we can stand secure. So Lord, teach us, show us, as we read the text tonight, in Jesus we pray, amen. We begin here with, the, and I want you to notice the blood of the covenant here in verses 1 through 8. Notice verse 1, now he said to Moses, come up to the Lord, and then notice he's asking Moses and Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 elders of Israel, and worship. There, you'll be a little distance, but, but I want you to come up. And Moses will then go alone to the Lord. But they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with him. So you have, here's the picture. Everybody's down at the bottom of the mountain. Moses, Aaron, and his two sons and the seventy elders come halfway up the mountain. Then Moses goes the rest of the way up the mountain to talk to God. So you have these kind of three layers of people here. Verse 3, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. And all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice, All the words which the Lord has said, we will do. And so Moses wrote all the words of the Lord. And he rose early in the morning. And he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young men of the Lord, or he sent uh, young men of the children of Israel, who Offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half the blood he sprinkled or splashed on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenants and he read in the hearing of the people, the, the section we just read, chapter 21, 2, and 3, all the descriptions of the law. And he reads that out loud to the people. Then all the people heard it, and all that the Lord had said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses, verse 8, took the blood, and notice what he does. He sprinkles it. He takes the urn, and he, the people are all around and he splashes the people with the blood. So the blood's gone on the altar. Now the blood's gone on the people. The people have heard the law. God's making a covenant with them, his promise. He's I'm sticking with you, you stick with me. He's read the law to the people and now he's splashed them, covered them, maybe not covered them, splashed them with blood. The blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Now, it's through all the blood and the offering and the hearing of the covenant that now it's made and confirmed. The people have said, Yes, Lord, we will do whatever you say. Where did they hear the Lord's voice? Well, they heard the Lord's voice. They've heard the Lord's voice many times as they've come to the mountain. They've heard the thunderings. Remember, it was thunderings and lightnings, and it scared them to death. They're cowering at the bottom of the mountain. Some of them got curious. God says, don't cross the line. You're not holy enough to come here. Only the mediator, only Moses. He's the only one that can go back and forth, and he's been doing that. God's made Moses do that as a picture in their minds that they need this mediator between God and and them. They can't go to God. They're not holy enough to get to God. And God wants them to know that he separated them, and he's using a mediator. And the mediator is just a picture of who? Jesus, our mediator. Very clear. And so now God has called Moses and the people halfway up, and he's called Moses completely up. He's spoken to them, and he's come back down, and he's telling them. But the people have seen, they've seen, we're going to, they've seen God kind of from underneath because they're down below. They're looking underneath. It's, it's, it's quite a remarkable picture of what we're seeing. But after reading the Ten Commandments, after reading the books of the law, most of you are going, okay, where are we going now? You know, I I, I, I want to move forward. I've heard the commandments. I want to, but this this is so vitally important because the picture of Jesus, and the blood of Christ, and the covenant, the New Testament covenant. The word testament means what does it mean? Covenant. There's an old covenant. There's a new covenant. Your Bible's separated in two halves. You have the Old Testament. And you have the what? New Testament. The Old Testament is all about God's uh, provision. For his people through prophets, kings, but all picturing the atoning work of Jesus Christ in the future. It's all about the future. The New Testament, New Covenant is all about the Messiah's come. the Messiah has sacrificed. the blood of the sacrifice has met all of the needs of the appeasement or the propitiation of God. The wrath of God was coming on men but 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 it's all been a because Jesus has been that final sacrifice, the blood sacrifice for you and I, so that we, by hearing the word and putting our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved. We have salvation. We're separate from our sin. It's a beautiful truth. But we're seeing this Old Testament uh, covenant here, and that's why it's important to know these covenants and understand all of these covenants, because if you've never read uh, these things and don't really understand them. It's really hard to understand the new covenant that you're under. So this, that's why this chapter is really pivotal. It's really, it's really a key to help you understand that uh, uh, about the covenant and how it affects you as a New Testament believer. But if you've ever read the book of Hebrews, I don't know if you've studied it. It's a fascinating book. We're not sure, her, we're not sure Paul, who the author Paul is, Paul. Some of us believe it's Paul. That's what I'm... But the author is not identified. There's a lot of people love to argue. Theologians love to argue about who it is. I believe it was Paul. When you read it, it's Pauline all over the place. But that's just my opinion. And as you read the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is fascinating because the book of Hebrews refers to all of the Old Testament covenants and compares them to who? To Jesus Christ. That's what the whole book's about. That Jesus was better than angels, better than covenants, better than any blood of bulls and goats. Better. He's always better. He's the ultimate. He's, in fact, the, the picture of all of these things in the Old Testament. That's what the book of Hebrews really is. All the covenants, all the blood sacrifice, they pointed to Jesus Christ in the New Testament, salvation and the future Savior. So it's the work of Jesus Christ and the new covenant in his blood that is based on all the old covenants that we read about here. So, so the question would be, why is it more important for me to understand these? That's why. You can't really understand the new covenant unless you know what the old covenant is all about. And so this chapter really is the key or the pivot of, pivoting point here in the book of Exodus. It'll, it'll get us from uh, the people and God's deliverance of the people to Mount Sinai and his directing the people now to go into the promised land and the tabernacle. Because now, from now on, chapter 25 and on, it's all about the tabernacle. Again, the tabernacle all pre-pictures Christ as well. We're going to see him all over the tabernacle. The utensils, the way it was built, the purpose of it. the where people could only come so far, just like on this mountain. You have the people that couldn't go in certain place into the tabernacle on that mountain. And then Moses, he could go all the way in like the Holy of Holies, like the priests. Again, this is a picture of what we see later in the Old Testament, but it all pictures in the New Testament as well, and Jesus Christ being our sacrifice. So understanding this is vitally important to understanding your Christianity. This is important. Jesus said in Luke twenty two twenty. 20, Likewise, he took the cup after the supper, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. When do we do that? We celebrate that when? Communion. Jesus said this is the new. That's why when we have communion, and I stand down here, and I always have a big smile on my face because I think about the new covenant in the blood. This is exciting. This is freeing. This is liberation. This this symbol of the blood in that cup is, is the new covenant. But he's referring to some old covenants. What were the old covenants? That's what Genesis or Exodus 24 is about, explaining this ratification process, the confirming process of the Mosaic covenant. Now, really quick, covenants in the Bible. I'm going to throw these at you because you need to know this. Number one, covenant in the Bible, the Noahic covenant, the covenant with Noah. God promising Noah that he would never destroy the people on the earth. How? How did he destroy them? With water. water. And what was the symbol, the symbol of the Noahic covenant? What was it? Rainbow. Okay. So that was the covenant. God says, I promise, I covenant with you, I will never do this again. And to prove it, I'm going to display a rainbow. That's the Noahic covenant covenant, Genesis 9, verse 11, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. I establish a covenant with you, Noah. That's why it's called the Noahic covenant. It's his covenant God made with Noah. I'll never do this again. That's my promise to you. And Noah obviously shared all those things, passed all those things down. We know that today. The next covenant is the Abrahamic covenant. These are just important covenants in the Bible. The Abrahamic covenant is where God, think about the Jews and the Hebrews. They're no different than anybody else. We're all people. Some have light skin, some have dark skin, some are tall, some are short. We're just all people. We all operate the same way. There's no different between a Jew and a Gentile apart from God separating Abraham from his idolatrous parents, remember? He took him out of the... He just picked him sovereignly out of the crowd, Abraham. And he chose him to create a new nation. And he gave him a covenant. He covenanted with Abraham and promised him a land, a people, and blessing to all the nations. Remember those three parts of the covenant. And, a, and Abraham's 60. I don't have any kids. He's 70. I still don't have any kids. Sarah finally gets pregnant. She laughed. Remember, she named her first laughter. Laughed. I can't be pregnant. This is hilarious. Abraham, Abraham was 100. Sarah was 90 something. Way beyond the ability for her to have children. That's the miracle God was doing. But God made a covenant. Abraham was kind of concerned. Abraham, did you remember your covenant with me? Lord, what's up? I'm 100 years old. And then all of a sudden, they have a child. And God promised, and he makes it happen. might not happen in in the time frame we want. Isn't that true? We want God to operate in our time frame. God, why hasn't this happened yet? Abraham was the same, and God made a covenant with him. Here it is, Genesis 12, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, get out of the country from your family. So he separates Abraham from your father's house to a land I'm going to show you, the land. That's part of the covenant. Verse 2, I will make you a great nation. That's the second part of the covenant. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. How? Through Jesus Christ. Through the seed that he promised Genesis chapter 3. So all of this stuff is in succession here. Then there's another covenant. There's several others, but I'll just name one more. It's Jacob and Laban. Between Jacob and Laban. And this covenant's really interesting because it's between these two men. It's not God and man. In this case, it's two men, Jacob and Laban. If you remember, Jacob, the schemer, the liar. He lied to his father. He stole his brother's birthright. He was a schemer, a conniver. He was a, a liar, Jacob. But later on in his life, Uncle Laban Pulls a fast one on him, schemes on him. Remember, he worked for Rachel. He fell in love with Rachel. He was going to get married. He got older. It's time to get married, settle down. So he goes back to his people. Uncle Laban says, well, you can, you can marry Rachel. And after he drinks a little bit that night and they have the wedding ceremony, he wakes up the next morning with who? <laughs> cow eyes. Remember cow eyes? That's what her name means, Leah. Instead of Rachel, he's got Leah in the bed, and he goes back to Uncle Laban and says, what's up with that? And Laban says, "Ah, you know, what's up? You you have to marry the firstborn. Sorry. Out the door, you know. He got scammed. The schemer was scammed. It's a very interesting story. So can you imagine the animosity between Laban and Jacob? There's a problem there, right? So... He works seven more years. He gets Rachel, and as soon as he gets Rachel, he skedaddles, He's, and he takes some stuff. Rachel takes the gods, but they take some stuff from Laban, and they're on their way. They're going to take off. They're gonna, finally getting out of Uncle Laban's territory. They don't want to be around him anymore, they're, and Laban is mad. He's going to go kill, right? He's going to kill him, and Laban has this dream in the middle of the night where God says, don't you dare touch him. He's my chosen, don't you dare touch him. So he finally catches up to Jacob and he says, "You know what? God told me this, so they make a covenant. That's the I brought you to that place, the whole background to. Tell you. They make a covenant. there's covenants made by God and men and men and men. Those are the covenants that we see in the Bible, the covenant that Jacob Uh, makes with Laban is in Genesis 31. Here it is behind me on the screen. Now therefore come and let us make a covenant, you and I, and let it be a witness between you and me. So all of these covenants in Genesis, they all have this one common, or these common elements when you look at them. They all involve promises or commitments between God and his people or between these two men in this last case. They were often made by sacrifices. In other words, there was a ceremony and a sacrifice that came and the meal that followed the sacrifice, so a blood sacrifice and then a meal, they ate the sacrifice together, kind of fellowship. So you had the promise or commitment, you had the sacrifice and meal and then there was a memorial built, some kind of physical thing, a a physical token of their promise. Uh, God had them build an altar Stack up stones, remembering, place of remembrance, so that we would remind them of the covenant they make, the promise that they made to one another. Now, here in Exodus 24, going back to this covenant that we're studying tonight, again, we have the ratification or the confirmation of this covenant, this new covenant in the Old Testament between Moses... God and Moses, or God and the people, the children of Israel, Jacob's offspring. Jacob, who became Israel, the children of Israel, his sons, who now make up this tribe of Israel, two million people at the base of Mount Sinai. I love the story here, how he, God invites them now to come up to the mountain and The interesting thing about this is that they still are held at a distance, but they're going to see God in an interesting way. They've heard the commands declared. They've heard the word of God. And then they are going to respond through hearing. Again, the gospel comes through hearing what? And then what do you do with it? I'm saved because I'm just elected, or I'm saved because I put my faith and believe. And that's what we're going to see. If you study the Bible, it's hard to get lost in some of these interesting uh, uh, views that are held by Christians even today, those that so-call themselves theologians. Because you just go back to the Scripture and read about it, and you'll find out that God, you hear it, then you respond to it. That's what these people did. That's what we do as New Testament saints. But I love the fact that these are are now coming up the mountain and we see the same separation between people, the priests that go a certain distance, the high priests that would go the final distance into the Holy Holies. We see the same thing here on the mountain. They're held at a, a distance. As we come to the new covenant in the New Testament, we discover that all of these Old Testament covenants have been abolished in Christ. That's why there's no more temple. There's no more feasts. There's no more Sabbath. We don't have any of those. It's all abolished because we have Jesus. No more sacrifices because we have Jesus, the new covenant. But again, these old covenants are very important. It's in Hebrews. The writer, Paul, as I've mentioned, Hebrews 1, verse 1 through 4, it's a lengthy verse, but I want to read it to you. God, who at various times and in various ways spoken times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by a son whom he has appointed heir of all things. What things? Covenants, promises, sacrifices, all of it. Jesus, Jesus now has all of those things Through whom he also made the worlds. Jesus is eternal. He created the worlds. He's always existed. Who, being the brightness of his glory, God's glory, and the express image of his person, Jesus is God. He's the express image of God. He's the express person of God, and upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high, heaven. become so much better than. Angels, sacrifices, better, better, better. The book goes on in Hebrews to tell us how Jesus is a better everything. So again, in order to understand that covenant that Jesus has made and, and performed on our behalf, we need to understand the, the old one. Twice in these verses, go look at verse 3 really quick. These people have verbally committed themselves to keeping the covenant. Verse 3, so Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. And all the judgments, and the people answered with one voice, all the words which the Lord has said we will do. Verse 7, again, the book of the covenants read, the people hear, and they said, all that the Lord has said we will do, and we'll, we'll obey that. That's their commitment. They're ratifying the covenant that God's made through Moses by agreeing with what they've heard. They've made a commitment based on their clear understanding of the Ten Commandments and the Chapter 21, 2, and 3, all the book of the covenants. They've been read to these people and they understand it and they've ratified now that they believe it and they're, they verbally ratified the covenant. Now, here's the application. The covenant is the word of God given to Moses, read to the people out loud. They hear it, they respond to it. Just as you and I hear the word of God, and then we respond. That's why Christians, the Harvest Crusade is important, but it's only effective if you bring, some, tell somebody the gospel and bring them. People are won by one o n e. They're not won by the mass evangelism, swept up in the moment. They're won by someone that shares the gospel and and tells them about Christ, and then you bring them to the Harvest Crusade, and they make that commitment because they hear the gospel, and they respond. Just like these people did the same thing. Paul wrote about it in Romans 3. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's, we need to tell people that. They're sinners. They need a Savior. And then Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the response to God's gospel and grace is to receive what? The gift of God's grace. You don't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't do anything to get it. All you do is receive it. That's all you do. It's a gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So our covenant, the new covenant of the blood of Christ, is met the same way as these Old Testament covenants. It's based on the word you hear and his terms. God makes all of that. His word, his terms. And then... John 3.16, whosoever believes shall not perish but have, what? Everlasting life. life. Because we receive that gift that God gives. I love that truth. The New Testament covenant we have with God in Christ because of what he's done involves the same thing, verbal confirmation or confession you make confession with your mouth and you believe in your heart. So we do that verbal. We hear the word, then we make the verbal confession, and then it's the blood of Jesus that does the work. It pays the penalty of my sins, of your sins. So here in Exodus 24, just like these other covenants, it's the same thing, Old Testament, and New Testament. It's a covenant. It's a promise that God makes. There's sacrifices. There's an altar. It's very interesting when you break it down here. Moses in Exodus 24, he's the one that carries out this confirmation process by reading the word and listening to the people as they agree and receive that gift. Then they build an altar there at the foot of Mount Sinai, which is, and it's Moses that built it, by the way, and he puts up the 12 pillars. It's just a token of that promise. He's confirming or ratifying. And then there's the sacrifice, verse 5. Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And then that blood is sprinkled on the altar and on the people, verse 8. Took the blood, sprinkled it on the people. The blood of the covenant. So all of these things, the old covenant, the new covenant, you see how they fit together so beautifully, so perfectly? God is an amazing God who over thousands of years collected different people and wrote a book but the theme is the same. It's an amazing, the Bible, the Bible you have in your hands is an amazing book. Don't take it for granted. Read it. Lift it up high. Thank God for it every day. Show your respect by reading it and asking the Holy Spirit to help you understand it. It's an amazing book. Now, the blood here in verse 8, the sacrifice, the blood. There's nothing magical about that blood, the blood of bulls and goats. But the blood represents sin being paid for. That's all the blood represents here in, in this Old Testament covenant. The life was in the blood, and life had to be given for another. That's the sacrificial Death of Christ, the vicarious death of Jesus. He went willingly, didn't have to. He hung on the cross willingly in your place, in my place. He made atonement for our sin by letting his blood flow. That's the beautiful, miraculous, awesome work of Jesus Christ, the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's the blood of Jesus that saves you and I pictured in the old testament covenants with all the blood and the sacrifices but in matthew 26 again speaking of communion for this is my blood of the new covenant jesus said which is shed for many for remission of sins it pays for the penalty of sins here in exodus 24 verse 7 it's all confirmed verbally The people say yes yes we'll obey yes it's all confirmed ratified there The covenant that God made with Moses, the Mosaic covenant here. And again, the New Testament covenant in Christ's blood follows this exact same pattern. The words of God are read, sacrifices made, you receive the word of God, and then you receive that sacrifice as a gift. It's fantastic. It's pretty awesome. And when you compare it to the Old Testament, this should wet your whistle We're studying two books in the Old Testament right now, Leviticus and Exodus, here at this church. I'm just doing Mark on Sunday morning, but I get excited about studying the Old Testament. It's fantastic. I think you're here because you want to hear God's word and you want to study it. Now, here's what happens next, and I'll kind of rush through this section, but an awesome view of God. Here it is. Here's where they see God. Then Moses went up, and also Aaron, and Aaron's two boys Nadab and Abbeyu. And for those of you that have studied with me in Le- uh, Leviticus, you know what happened to these guys, right? You've, you've read that story. You can read it. I think it's a chapter 9 of Leviticus. But these boys of Aaron, Moses, the 70 elders of Israel, verse 10, and they saw. See what Moses said? They saw the God of Israel. But look at their vantage point. And there was under his feet, as if it were paved a work of sapphire stone. Sapphire is very clear, very clear, kind of a green. And they're looking through it. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hands. So they saw God, and then they all ate and drank. Now, it's really hard to say what they saw. Um, This is where you can get into the minutiae of the scriptures. And, you know, you can start our argument on Facebook or whatever if you like social media. I saw God. They saw God. They didn't see God. They saw God. They didn't see God. It says right here that they saw the God of Israel. They didn't see him clearly. They saw him through this jasper stone. They were down low and they looked up where Moses was and they saw up into, that's the way it's being described here, kind of like Isaiah chapter 6. He saw the Lord high and lifted up, and the veil of his temple, the cloud, the mist filled the temple, right? But he saw God, but he didn't really see God because there was a haze there. God, for some reason, is not letting people see his full person. Moses didn't really even see all of God either. Moses saw a burning bush, but he goes up and talks to God. It's an amazing thing. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel saw God. Here's his description here on the screen behind me. Then I looked and beheld a whirlwind was coming out of the north, a great cloud, a raging fire engulfing itself, and brightness was all around it and radiating out of its mist the color of amber, this flashing light, flashing light. If you studied in Revelation with me, you'll remember it was in chapter 4 that John has a vision. And what does he see? Here it is behind me on the screen, Revelation 4. John says, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one that sat on the throne, one that sat like a jasper and a sardis stone. So there was green and red flashing lights in appearance, and a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Now, the similarities here of the people that are looking at God, aren't they similar? Do you see the, the way they are the same? It's uncanny as I look at these descriptions. God is revealing just a little bit, just enough to make the covenant with his people. He's not revealing everything. He's not showing who he is because he doesn't want us to see him. Jesus is God. We see in Jesus the person of God. His nature, his character. That's what God wants us to see. And the Bible says in Isaiah that there was no beauty that we should desire Jesus. He wasn't the Hollywood Jesus with the blonde hair and the blue eyes. The Bible says there was no beauty that we would desire him. In other words, he was very average or maybe even below average in looks physically. (gasps) I can't believe you said that, Pastor Lee. Well, that's what the Scripture says. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. But the similarities of the vision that these elders are looking at now, through this up, as they look up, they see his, a footstool. They see, maybe you see his feet. I'm not really sure. They look up and they see through. Very interesting. They've, they've already been afraid when they've heard the voice of God. They've been freaking out, cowering at the bottom of the mountain. And now God brings them up there to show them something. The writer of the book of Hebrews Chapter 12, verse 29 says this, For our God is a, notice, we see God described as fire, flashing light, bright. The Bible describes him like that over and over. The elders here in chapter 24 of Exodus, they, they just look in this crystal, crystal floor. And as they look through it, verse 10, and under his feet as, as if it were a paved work of sapphire stone. So they just look up and they see his feet. And then, but on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand. He was talking to Moses. They heard him. They saw this, the feet and nothing more. We're not sure what more they saw. And then it says they saw God. So that's all God revealed to them, that little bit. And then they ate and drank. So they didn't see God like we would see each other, you know face-to-face, but they saw God. That's the point here. Now, this is where the the whole debate comes in. Pastor Lee, from the beginning, I know, the Bible says that no one's seeing God. Here it is in Exodus chapter 33. You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. There's several verses. There's a verse in Timothy that says the same thing. So these elders... Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel had a vision. He saw a vision of God too. Moses, John, they see a form. They see an approximation. They see a fuzzy image or a faint resemblance of God. All of these images are foreshadowing Jesus Christ who would come in human flesh, the God-man. He became one of us and he revealed God to us. John 118. No one has seen God at any time. the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of Father, he has declared him, He's exegeted him, He's made him known to all. I, I love the way the Old Testament speaks of God and how God is revealed then in the New Testament, I love the way that's done. So these elders, they see this obscure vision of God here, and then they eat and drink. See the end of that verse there? They, they have a meal, and they're ratifying the covenant. It's all this ratification of the covenant, confirming the covenant. They sit down and they eat, just like somebody makes a deal today. You, you, know, you go somewhere, and you, over lunch, you make a deal, you know, and you sign a contract after you eat some food. That's what they've done here. And then notice in verse 12, Moses is called back to the mountaintop here. Then the Lord said to Moses, come to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law of commandments, which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, you guys wait here, and we'll come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let, let them go to them. So these guys can do all the, uh, it's normally me and, and uh, Joshua who do all the dealing with the people. You've got Aaron, you've got her. you guys can deal with the people. We're going to go back up here and meet with the Lord. That's what they do. They go up, and it's really interesting the way it happens. Notice in verse 15, the Moses went up the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst mist of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. They just see like lava, smoke, and lightning, and flashing going on. And Moses went to the midst of the cloud and went up the mountain. So he has courage, and they know, again, he's the mediator. He's the only one that can do this. And he was up there 40 days and 40 nights. Again, all these images of God, the image they saw through the the glassy floor, the thunderings, the lightnings, the flashings of light, all of those things, the smoke, those are all biblical Old Testament revelations of God. You'll see those again and again throughout the, the scriptures. But the fact that God met with the elders is the point, and he ate with them That's the point. The covenant was ratified. It was made. They sat down. They had a meal. And now they're going to start working on the tabernacle. And it's the tabernacle that God will come and stay, and he's in the midst of his people in the tabernacle. And they would move that tent of meeting. They would move it around and it had certain utensils. We're going to learn all about the tabernacle and all the utensils uh, in the coming verses but more importantly let me just close tonight with with these three important principles about covenants there's three really important principles that I want you to catch they're old testament but they have an application for us as new testament believers number 1 the new covenant must be confirmed verbally it's got to be ratified verbally in other words in order for the covenant to be to take place in the old covenant or in the Old Testament, the people had to say, yes, Lord, we agree. They had to agree verbally with it. And they did that. Remember in verse 3 and verse 7, they did it twice. Yes, we will keep all your covenant. Yes, we will do everything. They did it verbally, just like in the New Testament. You ratify your covenant with God. The salvation covenant He makes with you. Did you know you ratified? Here is the verse behind me. It's Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. Saved. How does that happen? Confession. With what? Your mouth, verbally. You verbally confess. The Lord. You can know all about the Lord. You can read theological. You can have a, a knowledge about God, but unless you verbally confess it to the Lord, that's what this verse is saying. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Same thing in the Old Testament. Do you see this the similarity there? And then the second one here, the New Covenant just like the old, must be communicated. It had to be read. The people had to hear it. They had to hear the covenant. Why? So that men could make a choice. Throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, God always gives men a choice. Well, what about election? I'm not hung up on election. I know I was elected because when I received that gift of salvation, my life, Changed. The only way you'll know is if you receive the gift. And once you receive it, then you know you're saved. God's not willing that any should perish, but He offers salvation as a free gift to all. And when you hear it, you make a choice. That's the point here with the covenant. The people heard it, they made a choice. Moses was God's mediator. He went back and forth up and down the mountain. He reported the word of God to the people. He went to God to man, to God to man, up and down that mountain over and over again. That's why church, listen, that's why we evangelize. That's why we tell other people. God has chosen to use you and I to tell others the good news, the gospel. You don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to be a pastor. You just need to tell others about Jesus Christ. You need to read the word to them. Tell them the word so they can make a choice. Jesus' simple message and the gospel we study every Sunday morning. Mark chapter 1. Here it is, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here's Jesus' message. This is it. Repent and believe in the gospel. That was his message. Oh, you mean I don't have to go to Seminary? I don't have to learn more. I don't. No, you. You just tell people to repent, turn from their sin, and believe in the God. That was Jesus' message. Mark one verse fifteen. The third thing we're told to do is the new covenant must be committed to. You have to make a commitment. You can't just know the covenant. You have to commit to it. Again, the seventy elders. They ate with the Lord. Moses built an altar. They sacrificed there. There was a commitment between God and man. There was a commitment with Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples. He said, You cannot be part of me unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Did you know he said that? Remember, the people around him, they freaked out. And the ones that really didn't believe in him, they laughed. Jesus was talking symbolically. He's not saying you have to actually, you know, take a bite of his flesh. The, the cup that we drink from is a symbol of his blood. The cracker we break and partake of is a symbol of his body. We eat his flesh. We drink his blood symbolically. Don't freak out. It's just a symbol until he comes. It reminds us who he is. That's what the covenant's all about. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It's interesting. The Bible doesn't tell you you have to do it every time you come together in church service. There's no uh, uh, pattern. You don't have to do it every night. You don't have to do it every morning. It's just as often as you do it. We should do it often. We should do it as often as we can, but Jesus says, as as often as you do it, you're just proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. So understanding the Old Testament covenants, I hope tonight you get it, that you understand the New Testament covenant so much better. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word tonight. I thank you for its clarity. I hope I've made it clearer, and I hope your people have, have heard these things. And Lord, that they would see their salvation as all the more precious. Oh, how precious our salvation is. What a beautiful and wonderful gift that is offered verbally by the Word of God to all. And each man, each woman, humankind, has a choice to make. We thank you that these covenants are exactly that. You gave a choice. You called Abraham, undoubtedly. You elected him. You called him. And you do call us, Lord. And you offer to all the free gift of eternal life. Father, thank you for your vast eternal plan that sometimes the light goes, it blinks on, Lord, in our heart and mind. And we are so grateful. I pray that tonight is a moment like that for the believers here. That we would be so grateful for our salvation, the covenant, the promise that you've made in the blood of your willing son who died on the cross for our sin. We receive it again. We thank you for it again. Oh, Lord Jesus, we worship you and thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.